Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve with a mix of coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit and join today. Today, my guest is Ulrika Seminati. Ulrika is a leadership and communication coach and consultant who brings a wealth of experience as a former C-level executive to her expertise in authentic leadership and impactful communication. By blending the latest self-development methodologies and her extensive practical knowledge of corporate communications, she enables leaders to establish trust and credibility through effective communication. Her clients benefit from her pragmatic and user-friendly tools that enable them to make lasting improvements. Prior to going out on her own, Ulrika had leadership roles at Asino, Syngenta, Art, Daimler, and Magna International. She lives in Zurich. Ulrika, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you doing this with me. So let's talk about your current work. Tell our audience about your coaching business. Yeah, so I'm doing coaching and training uh, it's okay. for leaders, not only for female leaders, for leaders as such, because I also have a specific program for women. But it's all about being more authentic, more authentic leadership, more impactful communication. And for me, this goes hand in hand. I'm doing that in terms of one-on-one coachings, but more often I do actually trainings for leadership teams from people from all over the globe, which is great because then you have a nice diverse team, also culturally diverse mm-hmm. in how they communicate. And it's very interesting. And it's all about bringing them to a level where they become their best leader they have within themselves. I'm always from the inside out at the same time. It's just a skills training because I think that doesn't really do the job. It's Mm. really about understanding who you are and coming from that perspective. You were in communications for 20 odd years before you decided to go out on your own. So what led to that decision? So I always had in mind that I wanted to do something on my own and to have an own business, but it was a bit vague. It was evolving with my career. The beginning was event management and then it evolved into something else. And at the end of my corporate career, after 20 years, I joined the C-level, the executive committee of an international pharma group. And Mm -hmm. that was a moment where obviously with this helicopter view that you have in the organization, I changed the perspective on how much we need actually to change so that people feel more fulfilled, happier at work. And, you know, that whole interface between human beings changes because we are still managing tasks and numbers also Mm -hmm. from the top instead of really managing human beings. And that was, for me, a very enlightening experience. Also, what you can achieve when you are in this very high level, you have influence for sure. But as long as you are internal in a company, you're always put into a specific box, which is your role, basically. And everything that is beyond that, people are not really listening to you. Whereas when you come from the outside as an expert, then people are listening to you. So I thought I can make a bigger difference when I'm coming from the outside than when I'm inside of one organization only. And this is why I thought this is what I want to do. I really want to help leaders to communicate better. So with this core principle of leader communication, 
and to change that paradigm. It sounds like you also, though, come at this from a perspective that I'll say the world of work doesn't work for a lot of people, if that makes sense, right? Your point earlier about a lot of people aren't feeling happy and fulfilled and all of that. So how do you try and help your clients in a way that kind of gets at that, right? And how they really interacting and connecting with people more on that individual human level. Yeah. I think, first of all, we need to understand ourselves and I help them to understand who they Mm. are. With very simple tools sometimes. I mean, if there's more time, then I'm happy to get into the more complicated things. But first of all, really understanding your own perspective, because most of us, we are not aware or we think that our perspective is the reality. And this is why we're surprised why others are not buying into our ideas, why they don't come along with us on the right for change or something like that, because we don't make that effort. And the others don't feel heard, not seen, their opinion doesn't count. A lot of frustration is built up because of that, because we all stay in our own reality. Mm. And for me, it's important that people understand, first of all, that whatever is their own reality, it's just their reality. (laughs) Right. Not the one of the person in front of you. It's not the one of all of your team members. You have 10 team members. You have 10 different views on the same situation. And understanding that, embracing the fact, hey, maybe for me, that's right, but it's not right for the other person. A man have to make a compromise and go for something different. It's very important. And so that's why, for me, that's the starting point. Understanding, first of all, where you are, You know, if you imagine your goal being an impactful leader or strongly communicating leader or whatever is your goal, then first of all, understand where's your point of departure, not just where's the goal. Because if you have no point of departure, how can you plan how to get there? Hmm. Many people plan how to get there without ever having looked at their point of departure. What do they mean? You know, what are their values? What are the typical suspects? What are beliefs that they have about themselves, especially about themselves being a leader, about themselves being an inspiring communicator? There's so many limiting beliefs in there. And it's interesting that even leaders which are perceived as being strong, which are very senior, where you would not think that they think that about themselves, and you dig a dig deeper, many of them, if not all, have doubts about if they are really good enough for that role. And as soon as the role expands, the doubts get bigger and you have to deal with that. And most people don't take that time. And that's how they stumble then into becoming someone they are not. And for me, it's really about getting to the core of who you are and who you also want to be, because there's always an evolution that is possible. Almost everybody has some level of imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So talk a little bit more about your early days as an entrepreneur. What did you get right and what did you not get right? So I think let's start with what I got right. I think what I got right is that I was making a plan and I was sticking more or less to that plan. I mean, there's always deviations, but I was extremely committed. You know, it was not like procrastinating on things. I really got things done right from the start. And because I think I had this inner feeling is the right thing to do. That's the thing why on this planet, you know, this feeling of purpose. So that brought me to really get into action mode. But on the other hand, what I did not do right at all, I was not prepared at all. Mm. On my day one, I started from scratch, from zero, really. I had a vague idea. I want to change that leadership paradigm. But what does it mean exactly? What tools will I use? What capacities do I need to expand on to be able to do that? And not even talking about all the rest, which is really dumped on you in that. It feels like that. Or a solopreneur, like, oh my God, the whole marketing, how do I do that? I have to change completely. Now I have to produce materials myself. And then I was very quickly actually hitting 
my own inner barriers. And that was mm. the most difficult thing to handle and still is, still is. I still have to be aware <laughs> yeah. what I think about myself and where I actually want to go and not losing my point of departure, which is holding me back when I'm not taking care of that. How much had you thought this through before you actually quit and were out of your last corporate job? Nearly not at all, actually. Yeah. I had no time. It was mm. like really crazy, crazy overload of work, you know, this crazy hamster wheel thing. Right. I had in mind, for me, it was clear when this role is finished, because it was a C-level role as well, it was kind of higher. I can't get do the same thing in a bigger organization, for sure. I can earn safe money, kind of safe. But that was not the point. For me, it was like, okay, from this role, that's the ideal role to get into something where I create my own business as a consultant or as a coach or as both. Or it was not clear, but I wasn't prepared, really. It was just the area was clear, has to do something with communication and leadership, but very, very fluffy. And that's what I yeah. do. Definitely. I would do that differently today. Really think about my strategy, my vision. Mm. What do I actually really want to achieve? What is this core about this core topic I want to focus on, for example, even if it evolves over time, for sure it will, because you get feedback from customers all the time. But you need to have a starting point that is clearer. I think that would have made my first year far smoother than it actually was. Yeah. Well, I think every new entrepreneur makes a lot of mistakes and has a lot of realizations that they probably didn't even think about before they started. Certainly in this for me, I had no idea how complicated the world of search engine optimization and marketing was and have had to learn it way more than I would have ever suspected going into this whole process. You've been at this for a few years now. What do you like best about being an entrepreneur and what part's hardest for you? Well, I think the best thing is definitely the freedom, the freedom to be the master of my own agenda. That That is still really fantastic. And to have mm. days which are not regular. I li- like this irregularity. Some people hate that. Maybe I love that. There's sometimes two days in a row where I do trainings, which are similar, obviously, but usually at day one is day different than the second one and the third one in the week and so on. And I really like that variety and that things that can be very intense and less intense. So I like that most, I would say. Yeah. And so I think the most difficult thing is that I'm permanently faced to myself. You know, I'm my own boss and Mm. that's the worst boss I ever had. (laughs) I don't know. In the beginning, I was so harsh with myself and telling me off for every single mini mistake. And yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, pushing myself over the limit all the time. And I really had to learn to be a bit of a gentle boss to myself. Mm. And that is still a bit of an, it's a daily, sort of fight, I would say, but it's a daily challenge to be in this balance of of wanting to create something that is really of good quality and at the same time of bashing myself <laughs> as a, I'm a perfectionist. That obviously makes it more complicated <laughs> that when 5% are maybe not perfect in my eyes, that I'm really looking at these 5% instead of celebrating the 95, which yeah. go well. Yeah, I've always had this adage of you live and you learn, but sometimes in the moment you're like, oh, I probably should have not had to learn that one the hard way. You know, there's a lot of that that goes on, a lot of opportunities to beat yourself up. Yeah, absolutely. You've talked a little bit about this already, but what types of situations are your clients typically coming to you with? Like, what are they asking for help with? So it depends if it's a one-on-one situation or if it's a group. If it's a one-on-one situation, then it's very often about having more impact somehow, yeah, being hmm. an impactful leader, more impactful communicator. But what is beyond that most of the times is that they have a lack of self-confidence and assertiveness or feel like I'm not really sure how I can handle my people, um, shying also away from their own emotional connection to the people, become a more empathetic leader, for example. 
that's the underlying thing in the one-in-one coaching is very often about self-confidence mm-hmm. in a certain way. It's, it's really it's really interesting, even with, with people who are really senior executives, it's still there. Probably they are where they are because they were always doubting about if it's good enough and always went the extra mile because of that as well. It's also a mechanism. But in groups, it's different. In groups, it's coming only from, from the corporation, from the HR team or whoever wants these leaders to come together in a group into a communication training. And then it's different. Some It depends very much on the organization. Some have a very strong focus on change and they know we can't get this through this whole huge change project which we have without mm. having trained our leaders on how they lead change and how they communicate on change which is a bit specific but at the end not that different from normal communication because it yeah. to human people to human beings in, a, in any way and the others is more about more general things like how can they be more inspiring, you know, be more interesting when they present something to a group. How can they lead their teams and inspire them in a different way so that they're really on board and not just do a nine to five job and without really embracing the company goals, for example. So it's coming from these different perspectives and very right. few organizations are really about we want our leaders to be authentic, to stand in their full power. I think it's a shame that so few organizations have this clear focus. It's a secondary focus most often, but it's not mm. the first one. And I think it should be the first one, actually. Yeah, I feel like it's a journey we're on. And I was talking about this with somebody just last week that I think we're past this point where like, we expect our leaders to be perfect, to have all the answers, to always demonstrate the right behavior. We accept that they're all going to have some level of flaws and we want them to show some of their human side and be authentic, but we're not completely there yet, right? Either the the leaders aren't completely there in terms of their comfort with bringing their authentic selves to work. And I think the organizations still fall back on, yeah, I know you're having a bad day, but like, I need you to really lead me right now. It's, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because you're depending on those leaders as a person in those organizations. And to some extent, they get sort of fewer breaks than maybe somebody who's an individual contributor gets. But I don't know. I don't know how far we will get down this path, but we're certainly on it. Yeah, I believe so too. I believe so too that we are on it, but I think there's still quite a way to do because we have all ingrained so much this corporate persona that we imagine or this leader stereotype that is that we imagine. It's a yeah. specific personality style. And all those who are different have a hard time to become a leader or not to get comments like you just mentioned before, you were not really on top of what you should be as a leader or these kind of right. comments. Whereas I think we need to much more shift towards true diversity, you know, really accept because mm. you have that diversity as well. Then if you're the CEO of a company, it's great to speak about diversity, but then you have diverse people, but you don't allow them to be diverse, you know, because we come up with these are the valued leadership behaviors in our company. And I think it's good to have direction and guidelines. But it's only working when leaders can connect to this on a very individual level and maybe can embrace only some of the leadership behaviors that are desired behaviors and others less. Because for the others, they have to play a role and that doesn't work. And then they lose their credibility. They lose their impact on their team. You will never shape high-performing teams like that because the leader is inside not even high-performing because they have to be different than they truly are, which makes them believe, again, something's wrong with them. And I think as long as we haven't broken that mechanism, we are still in this very stereotyped version of what a leader should be. And people stumble very quickly into this yeah, because you, people want to fit in. So we do this yeah. all positively. Do you always intertwine communications and leadership in the way that you work with, with your clients? Or are there some that are sort of firmly one or the other of those two topics? 
No, it's always intertwined, but obviously there's more of a heavy weight on communications or more heavy weight on leadership. However, for me, there is no leadership without communication. So there's communication maybe without leadership, but not the opposite way around. So for me, a leadership training without the communication part doesn't really help because even if people then know all what they have to do, they can't bring it across then like useless knowledge inside. It's not applied yeah. knowledge, it's just knowledge. And so I think that is super important that communication goes hand in hand with leadership. Whereas, yes, you can do communication without a leadership training, obviously. I mean, there's some of very concrete skills that are not absolutely attributed to being a leader. But obviously, when you have them, people will see you much more as someone they want to follow potentially. As I said earlier, you've been in this space for a while. When you think about the leaders that you've worked with over the years, when it comes to communication, what are the best ones do well and what are most of the rest need to do a better job of? I think the best ones know who they are. Coming back mm. to what I said before, and they know it because they have worked on that. I must yeah. say none of those who know who they are and what they really stand for, you know, what are also their non-negotiables, for example, they're really clear on that. Our people yeah. worked on that. It's not like they're born with this wisdom or something like that. They have done something to understand themselves much better. Those are definitely the best ones. And oftentimes this goes with having some attributes like being authentic, being empathetic as well, open to listen to others. Usually they have much more space to listen to others, to connect because they're not so much occupied with themselves anymore. And that means that they can have this vulnerability, the famous vulnerability that we also want to see in leaders. And you need courage to do that, definitely. Absolutely. Understand who you are, because if not, vulnerability feels very scary if you don't know who you are and if you mm. feel very insecure inside of yourself. So the best leaders definitely know themselves. And I think those who do that, automatically, they become better leaders than the others. Yeah, I mean, you're almost intertwining, listening to you talk about it, you're almost intertwining communications, identity, personal values, all sort of very connected yeah. in the way that you're, think you're describing it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because for me, you know, communication, you can learn how to use your hands or how to stand or I don't yeah. know, speak louder, slower. I, I don't know what. I mean, there's tons of different things. Yes. But if it's not coming from the inside, if you stand there in a power pose, but you feel weak because you have so many self-doubts and you know that you feel just like a fake. It doesn't help. So as we have in communication, we have these nonverbal cues, which are so strong and they are coming from the inside. They're generated on the inside. You can learn as much as you want how to use your hands. The micromimics in your face will still yeah. betray you. <laughs> so you need to feel how you want to be. It's really starting from a being point of view and not just from a doing point of view. This is why I think it's another approach on leadership. It's not just about the skills and, and the techniques and methods and whatever. It's really about how do you feel when you do that? Does this fit for you personally as well? And maybe some techniques do and others don't. And why forcing yourself into a technique that is absolutely not fitting your own personality, for example. So I think... We need to have a much more unique individual approach mm. for different leaders, even if it's a group training, because they can then pick and choose much more what fits to them, where they are strong at and where they can deploy their full potential instead of pushing them into applying it all. And at the end, they apply nothing really well. <laughs> so I, I think we need to have that courage also in leadership teams and coming from the top as well. One thing I've noticed more is people using their social media platforms, particularly LinkedIn for most of us in the corporate world, as an extension of how they communicate 
even though it's a public forum, it's an extension of how they communicate with their organizations. How does that fit into some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, I'm not using it very, very much. But what I see and what I usually give advice on if people ask me really about yeah. that, it comes down, boils down to the same principle. Really think about what are the topic areas that you really want to speak about. You don't have to speak about anything your company is interested in or anything your organization is interested in. Many people do that and they position it, you know, they share another post with a comment that they feel is politically correct where they can put themselves into the best light and you can feel that across. And I think that's it's a waste of this the social media tool. I think it's better that you think about, okay, what are topic areas I have passion for within this leadership area or within my organization, for example, there's certainly topics I have more passion for than for others. And I yeah. pick two or three and on these two or three are really there. I comment, for example, or there I share something and I try to write this from the heart and not from the head, not from a strategic point of view. How do I phrase that best to be politically correct? But how do I phrase that best so that my personality comes across my true opinion? How can I be bolder, maybe more assertive? Don't have to put yourself into huge danger with that. But just having in mind to be more real in social media, even if it's on LinkedIn, where it's obviously not that fake than some other social media <laughs> tools, but still even there, you can feel how people try to position themselves in a way that is not really themselves at the end. And that's counterproductive. Yeah, it is counterproductive. And I think your point, I mean, ultimately, like for the people I've certainly seen for whom it works best are the ones where you get a very clear sense of them as people and it is reinforcing to the brand, if you want to call it that, that they're trying to convey about themselves as a person, as a leader. When it is reinforcing, it really works. When it's not reinforcing, it feels a bit arbitrary or fake or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. I would imagine that there are some misconceptions that you often find yourself having to dispel people of myths about communicating. What are some of those? The biggest one is I think that communication is about sending a message. It's mm. a doesn't matter. You speak, you say it out loud, or you send it by email, whatever you do, or you do it a presentation. People think good communication is about sending a powerful message. And I think it's absolutely not like that because at the end, communication is always a two-way thing. It's a two-way, di it's a dialogue. It's not a monologue. And starting with getting something first before you even send something out is far stronger because then you can adapt to whatever this person or the group in front of you really needs to stay flexible. Many people think good communication needs to be prepared in the last detail, that everything is super, super perfect. This is why most people spend hours on finalizing a PowerPoint slide and they tweak words and stuff. So it's completely useless <laughs> instead of preparing themselves as a human being, not as yeah. a presenter with words, but as how they want to feel. What is this energy they want to bring across? What is the energy or the emotion that I want to create with my audience? So these non, more, much less tangible things. People don't go into it because it is less tangible. So it's, it's not so easy to understand. It's not easy to grasp. So it's, it feels uncomfortable because you feel like yeah. I can never measure that. How do I know if it's right? And so on. Yeah. And they fall back on what's tangible, like words on a PowerPoint slide, for example. But very often that's the biggest myth. And, and people hold on to this myth very much because it gives them a feeling, a wrong feeling, in my opinion, of control. PowerPoint is a shield. For a lot of people, right? Yeah. yeah. Horrible. You have just this huge slide and you, the spaces are so small or disappear completely. It's horrible. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about leadership. How would you define leadership and how is your definition of it formed? 
So for me, leadership is about helping others to grow and to fill their, fulfill their potential. It's not about being the superstar and being the front man or something like that. For me, leadership is really helping, enabling others to grow. That's really good leadership, in my opinion. And coming with that perspective in mind is a different way of leading others than if you come like, I have goals, so my team goals are broken down to these goals and we have to achieve this together. Because then you come from your own standpoint, from your own ambition as an individual, rather into, okay, if my ultimate intent of leading this team is that I help these people grow and go beyond what they're doing today, maybe in a year they can do 20% more, not more in terms of quantity, but maybe more quality or something that is more fulfilling or more valuable, something they can enjoy more as well. I think that is really good leadership. And yeah, where is this coming from? That's really a good question. I don't know. I think I always had this feeling that we just need to be much more caring about other people in general in life. And also at work. And I have seen so often that you have some really strong egos who just step over others to, well, to fulfill their own career. And it makes so many people unhappy or super, super stressed and families beyond the behind that become stressed. And so there's a whole cascade that is really negative of such people. So I think for me, this is probably where good leadership came from, that some leaders that I also had in my career when I was younger, whenever, in all these years, actually, there were always some of them which were really good and where I thought they do it differently because they have a genuine interest in their people. It's not of interest because they're interested ultimately in what they can achieve. It's a genuine interest in their people. And I think this is great. Now, yeah. can you learn that? Probably not. <laughs> but that's, that's, in my opinion, really good leadership. <laughs> So where does that leave you in the debate about whether people are born leaders or not? Ah, no, I think there are born leaders, definitely. I think we all know, even people from our childhood really think, hey, they were just leading the game because they had always, I don't know, they were inspiring others, had no problems doing to create enthusiasm in others and all of that. But I always say, yes, they're born leaders, but everybody can learn to become one. Definitely. It's not something you cannot learn. Especially when you consider, and I think this is the shift that people who think they will never be a really good leader because they're not a born leader, mm-hmm. that this shift to make that there are different types of personality styles. You can be an analytical introvert and you can still become a good leader. You can just learn to use these way of being as an advantage because it's great. It has a lot of advantages. And understanding, yeah, it's not a prototype who is really on scene and on stage and, yeah, having a great speech and all of that. Yes, you might never be exactly that one. But as long as you're true to yourself, you might want to even admit that in front of people. They would love that because so many people are like that. So many people are like you. And we don't see that very often. I think this is true strength. And this is truly inspiring. You know, that different profiles can recognize themselves in different leaders. So everybody can become one for sure. Have you ever seen that video of Steve Ballmer when he was running Microsoft coming out on the stage and literally running around screaming, uh, you know, for like two or three minutes solid before he he got into talking to the audience? And of course, the audience was going nuts. I'd say to people, have you seen that video? I'm like, yeah, that's not me. So don't expect me to run out on the stage and be a screaming lunatic trying to rev the crowd up because that's just not the kind of person that I am. So it definitely helps set people's expectations, if nothing else. I know you have a belief that leadership requires action. How do you counsel people on moving from procrastination to action? (laughs) That's a wonderful question. You know what? I have shaped a keynote around this 
couple of months ago, which is my newest keynote. And I call it bridging the no do gap because okay. we all know most of the times we know exactly what we should do to achieve a specific result. Right. It's not often the case that we don't know what we have to do. We know. Yeah. But we don't do it. And there are many reasons for that. And for me to move across this procrastination into real action, it's about getting the right emotion about that and to understand if there are any other emotions or thoughts, because thoughts are creating these emotions that are holding you back. For example, when we want to tackle a bigger project, we know exactly we need to do the first and the second and the third step. We need to get in contact with people we might shy away from. Why are you shying away from? Why are you procrastinating getting in contact with these? Do you feel like you're inferior? Do you feel like they will not pay attention to you because you're not important enough? I mean, there's so many things where we diminish ourselves and then we procrastinate because we fear failure, we fear rejection. So it's really about get to know yourself (laughs) and then you will know why you're procrastinating and what you can do that is really motivating you. Thinking beyond the actual goal that you need to achieve, the immediate one or even the midterm goal, what is beyond that? Maybe in terms of personal development, what's in it for you beyond what you can see right away? And there you might find an emotion, a motivation that helps you to take action. I was just thinking as you were giving your answer, for me, I think I made a, I'd made peace of the fact that to be a leader, you have to make hard decisions. And I would say along with that, you know, I've kind of made a habit of saying, I'm willing to do something hard every day, something uncomfortable every day. Because I think what happens with a lot of people is they just say, oh, I don't really feel like doing this today. This is not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. It's going to make somebody feel terrible or whatever the situation may be. And it's not like I relish those kinds of things, but you have to make a practice of it because it's just being a leader is going to require that pretty regularly. And if you can't get in in the habit of being willing to do something hard to take that action, you're going to undermine your own effectiveness in the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Goes back to your no do, you know, we know we need to do it, but we don't do it. It's also leadership about influence and persuasion. And I think a lot of people don't feel like they're naturally influential or naturally persuasive. So what can somebody do to improve their powers of persuasion? It's about stepping into the shoes of the other person. It sounds so simple, but that for me is the key. We all shape any message, we, any argument we bring up, we shape it for the only person that will never hear that message. And that is ourselves. We do that automatically. That's our Our perspective. It does not speak to the person in front of you. If you are someone who loves change because you like to discover new things because you feel there's a creative space and you speak to a person who hates change, who needs stability and security, and you come up with your enthusiasm about, wow, there's so much in it for us in this change project. We can grow together. It's a great business opportunity. And you have in front of you a person who hates change, who fears change from the bottom of their heart. They will never be receptive for your arguments ever, ever, ever. And you cannot persuade them. And you will not understand why. Because Mm -hmm. for you, it's obvious that there are so many opportunities in this change. Whereas for them, it's a pure threat or the other way around. Same thing. So I think we need to better understand really the basic personality styles that people have. And there are many models around that. I use also a model with four different types. But I think it's about using something that is very simple that helps us just to get along the big lines. No, it's not about a full Myers-Briggs profile for everybody you know, because you have no chance (laughs) to apply that and to have it in mind all the time. But at least big directions that people go for, what are their bigger motivations? What do they like least? What do they like probably most? And people feel that. We, We know that from others. 
if we really yeah. take the time to think about it. And that is the thing. If you want to persuade, it's not about thinking for yourself, what are the greatest arguments that I can see in here? It's what are the greatest arguments that a person I want to persuade sees in there. And if right. it's a group, well, you have to tackle all the different perspectives. And you know? I have to make a mix out of that. Everybody finds something in there. And only right. then you can start being persuasive because you communicate from their perspective, not from yours. Let's talk about teams. I know you do a lot of work with teams. What can leaders do to help their teams be better performers? It's about giving them the motivation that they need as individuals, not as a team. I mean, team building is great, but in team building events, the typical ones, often mm. we do not take care of the individual needs of a person at all. Everybody needs to fit into this activity somehow. And for some people, it's a real stretch and they don't feel more integrated afterwards than before. So I think it's really about finding out what are they good at? What do they like to do? Can I provide some of this to this person? And can I reflect on who gets which task differently for each new project, for example? Because it's comfortable to always attribute the same type of things to the same type of persons because it worked before. But maybe it's not the right thing, really stepping back. And thinking about who are the people in my team? Do I have people who love to get visibility? Yeah. So what can I do for them? Okay. I might not be able to give them the project lead role, for example, but if I cannot do that for whatever reason, well, maybe they can present to a senior leadership team and for 10 minutes, a part of our project and they will feel really motivated by that. Now, do I have people who love to create new things and they have a job where they have minimal space for that? Well, how can I create more space for that? How can I give them the opportunity to be just a bit more creative? Because I love that. And there are people who are real socializers. We know all of these, you know, who organize the birthday parties and the uppers in the office and all of that stuff. And beyond that, how can they care of the emotional state or state of mind for the, of the people of the team? Can they maybe be someone who helps me as a leader, but I'm not that kind of profile, to better feel what people are up to as well? Because they have this, they feel that. Yeah. Or then you have people who, yeah, who are very close to staying to the status quo. They want to maintain that. So for them, it's very hard if there's a change project, for example. How can I help them? Ideally, you can give them, for example, a task. If you have three profiles like that, you give them the task, okay, how can we create more stability within the change? You know, there's maybe yeah. something in the process or in the roles, how they're attributed, something that helps them to feel safer about that. And I think you make a team, a high-performing team, when a leader is able to address the different personality styles and when they understand how people are motivated and how different they are as well, and help also the people to understand the others in the team so that they know, okay, right. I'm maybe this, wow, super, super creative person, but this other person is a super reliable person. So I'm not carrying things through. I know that because I'm a bit fluffy and creative. <laughs> the other person is maybe not creative at all, but for sure I can rely on them to carry things through until the end. And if everybody knows we can draw on the strengths of each other as a team, I think then you shape a really high-performing team. It's about knowledge, not only about ourselves, but also about the others we work with. I mean, empathy is sort of underpinning a lot of what you've talked about. Just coming from a position of empathy, understanding the other person, understanding what's important to them understanding what's going to motivate them, understanding what their strengths are, in addition to understanding yourself, right? It gives you the ability to figure out how to relate better to them. Empathy is, I think, something that a lot of people struggle with. Yes, yes, a lot, because it's one of these areas where you feel like, oh, if I get too much into that, it's already difficult enough for myself. I don't want to you know, yeah. 
to handle, how to handle emotions, other people's emotions or my own emotions and so on. And as I said before, I think it's very important before you even start with trying to be a really empathetic leader, you need to be empathetic with yourself. You need to understand yes. your own flaws, accept them as well, you know, see your strengths, see your values, really understand yourself. And then you can relate to others from a much safer place because at least you you know where you're coming from. And I think that's the most important starting point, basically, to to create to create this connection and people search for connection. That is a, that's super motivating. And we all yeah. know we're connected to someone and not to something, but to someone. Well, if we go the extra mile with pleasure, if we are connected to people in our team, we love to work. You know, people, if they're lucky enough, they can have a team where they love to join friends at work in a certain way. And they feel like, wow, I'm waking up every morning. I'm happy to go there. <laughs> yeah. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about your career journey. So what drew you into marketing communications in the first place? It was a pure coincidence because okay. I studied, it was called international business by that time. It was a little diploma, three years of study only in Germany. And then, um, first of all, I, st I started as an assistant, actually. And okay. I had the luck that I worked for an automotive uh, company, Smart. So very, very strange car in the 90s when I started my career. So <laughs> it's like, what is this? And we had huge attention from the media. And I worked for one of the sub suppliers for, mm -hmm. for that car. And so I had the, the luck that I was the only person who was speaking three languages. So my boss, my CEO didn't do that. So great. I got the exposure to the media. And so that's how I actually came to the communications area. First of all, PR, media relations, external communications. And it was really lucky. And then I added on master in marketing communications because I thought that's the area I want to stay in. I don't want to go into any other areas, into HR or something like that, which was proposed quite often to me. And I always rejected it. I said, no, no, HR is not for me. I want to go into communication. And this is where that came from because it opened also a, a relatively creative space for me. And this is why I went into that first because there's also everything which is design, for example, is related to that. I was quite attracted by that when I was younger. Mm. So it um, gave me a lot of different possibilities how to how to navigate in this whole big area of corporate communications, which is internal, external, it's about events, it's online, it's everything. It's so many different shades of that. And I went through all of them in my career because I wanted to learn all the different areas that are possible. That's how I made my career finally. And I would imagine, given you worked in a couple of different industries over the course of your career, that you've seen fairly different cultures. As a communications person, you both have to shape the culture and work within the culture. How did you think about doing that when you were in those jobs? When I was in there, I wasn't so much aware. Well, I was aware of the different cultures, obviously, but I wasn't really aware how to bring this culture best across. You know, I was so yeah. much into we have to do a campaign out of that. We have to do trainings out of that. We have we did the whole channel thing, which you can do all the different channels. We have to cover them and so on and so forth. Right. But what I realized that in some companies you have where you have a strong culture, a recognizable culture, you know, this feeling that you go to Brazil, you go to Japan, you go to Sweden, wherever you go, you always feel that's the same company. And it's like a miracle. It feels like it's not really tangible, but it feels the same. And all these companies have strong Corporate cultures have really worked on that and are permanently working on that. And it's not something which they introduced once with a poster campaign, it's something they truly live. And they have introduced ways of holding a workshop, ways of holding a meeting, ways of how you invite to a meeting. And it's little things that people face every single day in their mailbox. They are similar. There's something common to that, a common way of doing things. And by really 
cultivating that. A culture then becomes a culture and not just a fake idea of like you can do with uh, introducing new values and hanging up a yeah. few posters and hoping that people buy in. Why should they? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think it's super important because companies have a strong culture, have a very strong buy-in from their, from their workforce. People love the company. Coming yeah. back to your social media question, they will share content deliberately and authentically because they're really yes. convinced about what they're doing because the culture is strong. And culture is still, I mean, we know that already for a while now, it's really a strong, a strong condition for success, at least on the long term, for sure, for organization. Do you think cultures can transform or do they have to evolve just because they can't change that quickly? I think it has to evolve because people mm. don't transform quickly, except if you exchange the people completely. <laughs> so I think in a very small, in a very small company, like 10, 20, 30 people, maybe really, 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 really small. If you exchange the CEO of such a very small organization, you might really radically shift the culture quickly, can be. Yeah. Um, with the effect that for sure, those who don't fit into this culture will leave for sure. I mean, that's the, the normal effect. But I think in any bigger organization, people don't shift easily. They, they, they don't. I mean, if you come up with a new culture, people first have to understand what's meant by them. Then you need a lot of time to build credibility because corporate culture campaigns, people have seen tons of them in their career. And the longer you are in this world, in the business world, the more corporate culture programs and mission, vision, values programs that you have seen. And right. you leave less and less. You know, it's like, ah, oh, again, another one. Ah, oh, again, a values refresh. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. And people, they don't care. So I yeah. think a culture shift really needs a lot of work and it needs proof points in the reality, in the practice, in the daily work, not in terms of great videos of someone telling you, ah, I live this value and because I did this and that, that's nice. But does it really mean something to me as an employee on the other end of the world? Probably yeah. And it's really about picking people up from where they are. And this is what is not done in organizations. When we run mm. a value campaign, we train people on the values. Pretty crazy when you really think about that. <laughs> because how can you do that? <laughs> I mean, but you explain them what it is and then there are case studies in role modeling and role playing and what have you. Yeah. Right. But I think a good values program should spend more time on helping people finding their own values than teaching them what the values of the company are. Because if they know their own, then they can make a decision and say, hey, that's the overlap. Now I see an overlap with me. And this is where I can be authentic. And this is where I can help to role model this type of value. Maybe not all four, maybe I'm good in two because I feel them, because I can understand how this relates to mine. And that's yeah. fine. And I think this is a different approach. And this is how you can change culture, but it will take a lot of time because first of all, I have I've seen very often that you have to overcome this threshold of of skepticism actually. It's just another culture yeah. program, actually. And it coming up beyond that, that's very important. And then it depends on the messages that are coming from the top in the beginning, also if they're convincing or if they also are just doing it because they think they have to do that or because it's good practice, then it's not credible and not inspiring at all. So it's tricky. It's not a simple thing. <laughs> it is tricky. I think you have to do a certain amount of communicating and helping people to understand what it really means through stories or whatever. But there comes a point where if you're not living it every day, right? If you're not making it real in all of those millions of different intangible ways that you make something real, people will see through it or it will just sort of lose steam. And that's the part that is really hard, right? That most companies, I mean, you said earlier, I mean, the companies that are really, really clear on their brand and their values, and they can make it feel consistent, whether somebody's in Brazil or Japan or wherever, 
I mean, that's hard and it's rare. And I mean, to some degree, I guess that's what the companies, when they roll out these programs, are trying to get to. It's also something you can't do every year or even every two years or maybe even every three years. It's one of those things you have to really let kind of soak into the organization because people have to really internalize it. And that just doesn't happen very quickly. Coming back to you, as you think back on the different roles you've had over the years, what are the strengths that you've been able to draw on again and again? I think my, it's that is one of these questions where I also wonder what is probably the biggest one in, in that sense. I think my biggest strength that really moved on my career, that is the fact that I always wanted to learn. I always had an ambition to learn. So the intent behind why I was changing roles, trying to change roles regularly towards the end every two years actually was always this eagerness to learn. That was my intent. And yeah. that brought me to become a high performer, overperforming as well, because I always just took whatever and just all the information I could get and applied it right away and wanted really to learn and grow. I think that is still my biggest strength also today because the world is fast evolving and it's good to be always interested in more knowledge. Yeah. Yes. Today I understood why I do that, the mechanisms behind that, but it's certainly a driver for me. Another strength that really I have, and that is great, I'm at the same time analytical and creative, and that is not very often the case for people. That is really helpful. Yes. Because I'm doing both. So I'm creative, but at the same time, I'm organized as well. And that is definitely helping me, especially being a solopreneur. But also even in the past, I mean, now I need my creativity much more, which comes back to what you were asking, what I really like also being yeah. online, having my own business. It's this, yeah, I can exploit or use this creativity as well. Yeah. But I think that's probably, yeah, what is the biggest, it's this combination. It's not one strength, it's this combination of two things that- of course. Seem yeah. to be contradictory sometimes. But sometimes those contradictory things in combination are powerful in and of themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what have you had to work hardest on developing? How did you go about it? The hardest is always my own limiting thoughts about myself. Mm. Or the other way around. In the past, I always knew that I'm a perfectionist because I can never celebrate a success at 100%. I always see the little flaws. They can be as smallest as they can be. It's always there. And I know that today. So it's really about how to handle that, definitely. And it's something I permanently work on. And this relates then to the fact that I have very quickly then doubts if I'm good enough or not. So really overcoming that again yeah. and again and being very clear about the own fears that I have. The fear of rejection that I have, for example, is a strong fear in myself, but like in many people. But for me, it's mm. a real hinder. It was a real hinder of success in the beginning. Um, I procrastinated a lot because of that and overcoming this again. And when it comes back, because something becomes so exciting or so big that it comes back a bit like a boomerang where if you, I at least am aware now that I can just overcome it again because I did it multiple, multiple times. And that's very helpful. And I think that's something I still have to work on probably for my whole life because it's a pattern that I have and I have to work on that all the time. How are you thinking about the next few years of your career at this point? Uh, I think, I hope really that I will make a good impact over the years and that over the time I can say, wow, I have changed in a few organizations, really the way of how people are acting. It was not something where there was a training and for one year they did things differently and then it became forgotten again. I really want to make this lasting impact. And I think only years and years and years more (laughs) will show how lasting this impact might be. Maybe one day I have this feeling of a breakthrough, you know, which is 
potentially then good enough to my own to fit my own expectations. <laughs> Maybe I have to lower them a little. <laughs> but um, but I think that that is the point that it's. I think it's about leaving a legacy as well. It's it's yeah. really about having made a lasting change somehow. Yeah. In different worlds where people are working and and having helped people just to feel better in their career, especially if they yeah. have thirty years or more ahead of them, you know that they can live that in differently. Then and they don't look back at the end and say, "Oh, if I had known thirty years ago." Yeah. All right. So you've anticipated my last question, which is, "What do you wish you had known back at the beginning of your career that you would go back and tell your younger self now?" Yeah. But what I will tell my would tell my younger self really, and I did not do that because you're so excited about I don't know applying your skills. Don't look at your competencies and skills only. You know, you think about the diplomas or different trainings you can do or whatever. Think about also that it goes hand in hand who you are and that you early on understand what is limiting you because we all have that. And when you know when you're in your early 20s, what is that? And you can work with that and you can, yeah, evolve differently from that moment onwards without, because I had a feeling for 20 years, I was more or less stumbling through my career where I was quite firm and quite clear in my competencies. But the more I climbed up the career ladder, the more I felt like an imposter. So it was not particularly joyful. (laughs) Most of the time I was super stressed. For yeah. nothing, actually, really for nothing. It's ridiculous if I look back today. I think we, we were always performing greatly and we were super stressed, like, oh, maybe it wasn't good enough what I was doing. Totally stupid. So I think this thing I would tell to my younger self, hey, believe in your competencies, understand who you truly are, take with you all these negative or limiting beliefs that you have, but you don't let yourself being controlled by them or being limited by them in any way because there's so much more which which everyone could do if we'd feel just really comfortable with ourselves i would tell my younger self <laughs> <laughs> well said well this has been fun and i appreciate your time lots of great insights in there for people at all levels right whether they're leaders at the top of an organization or working their way up to it just in terms of how to think about communicating and how to think about being an empathetic leader and being authentic. So lots of great advice. Thank you for covering all of that. Yeah, thank you, dear. It was a pleasure to have this open discussion. (laughs) Yeah, have a good rest of your day. Thank you very much. You too. I really want to thank Ulrika for joining me today to discuss her coaching work, her thoughts on communication and leadership, and her own career journey and what she's learned along the way. If you're ready to take control of your career, you can visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular career insights, become a Pathwise member. Basic membership is free. You can also sign up on the website for our newsletter and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.